Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. No! Oh, my God! How could he do that? Charles Darwin. The nerds is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brabber and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today we have some breaking news. Kyrie Irving has requested a trade according to Shams. This is another insane moment in the Kyrie saga. Of course, KD requested a trade from the Nets this offseason. Didn't happen. All of a sudden, the Nets were looking like a contender when KD was on the floor. And Kyrie has decided, no, he wants no part of that. He wants to go be somewhere else. So, Logan, give me your take on this. I mean, I feel like before we look at the specific teams that would make sense for Kyrie or the viability of this, why do you think Kyrie wants to do this? And what does this say about him as a guy and continue to impact his legacy? Well, first of all, uh, I, I would never try to understand Kyrie or his actions. I, I think that's I, I think that's just a difficult proposition. Uh, second of all, I'm the second show in a row. I'm quoting the late great Dennis Green. We said it about the Chiefs. I'll say it about Kyrie. They are who we thought they were. It's so weird, man. Whenever the boat is steadily cruising along the ocean, Carson, it's steady. The waves are nice, man. We catching a cool breeze out there. The sun is shining. It's good. Somebody's got to rock the boat, and the dude rocking the boat again is Kyrie. Whenever it's calm, it's happy, we're trudging along, Kyrie's got to rock the boat, it seems like, man. And The bottom line is, I don't know why he's doing this. I think this is the best basketball situation possible for two fucking bucket getters the caliber of Kyrie and Kevin Durant for Kyrie you are alongside one of the best I think the best scoring talent in all of basketball right now and the number one guy I would want to go into the playoffs with bar none I want Kevin Durant before I take anybody fully healthy I want KD before anybody else in the rest of the NBA on my team come playoff time so one you've got your co-star you've got your piece Surrounding around you, you have a bunch of really, really talented shooters and a bunch of really, really talented defenders, and you got a five-man in there in Nick Claxton who is anchoring this defense and playing hard, and you've got a team who is collectively together. Like, I don't know. It seemed like the Nets had hit their stride. Once KD gets back, we're going to see him make a playoff push, and they're going to be legit contenders out of the East this year. That's why it makes it so head-scratching is because I think this is a team that can genuinely compete to get out of the East at full health if KD is there and Kyrie is there. Um, I'm not going to attempt to justify why Kyrie did this to understand his actions or anything, but I will say this. I feel so incredibly bad for Kevin Durant, especially like this is the second consecutive season. I mean, we've seen James Harden just quit on him, didn't want to keep this thing rolling. Uh, You have three of the greatest offensive scoring talents of all time together, and he wanted to quit on him. Um... Kyrie does it again to him, and 
Kevin Durant is just a guy who wants all the drama, he wants all the off-court nonsense to go away, and he just wants to play basketball and win a chip and cement his legacy as one of the greatest NBA players of all time. To do that, Kevin Durant has to be the best player on a title team that is not fully fucking loaded, right? He wants to cement his legacy. So I just feel bad that Kevin Durant pushed his chips in on the wrong two superstars, on two guys who were not committed to the grind, who were not committed to focusing on basketball. Excuse me. I I feel bad for Kevin Durant that he's got to go through this again, and I think the Nets are at one hell of a crossroads too, right? Because he's forcing your hand. He wants his money. That's why he's doing this. Um, he wants his chips. And I, I don't... I don't fault Kyrie for leveraging this. He wants his money, and I understand that. But I think this is a really unprofessional way to handle this. And you're Kyrie fucking Irving, man. They'll pay you regardless, Kyrie. You're a beast. You go out there and you can drop 25 a night. You're one of the most talented point guards of all time. Uh, To me, it just further cements Kyrie's place as a locker room cancer, as a player cancer. And it's just someone who I just think's... I don't know, man. I, I just think this is a really bad way to handle the situation. I understand you want your money. I think this is the worst way you could handle the situation. I agree, and I think that this is pretty legitimately shocking to me because this is a really good basketball situation, as you laid out. Just when Kevin Durant plays this year, the Nets are 26-13. and 13. They're an elite team. When he plays with Kyrie, they are 20-10. and 10. Together, those guys have a net rating of about plus 5 when they share the floor. This is a really good team that was on fire when KD got hurt, that had clearly found their identity defensively, that had seemed to really come together. They were healthy. You see the dynamic shooting. You see the unreal level of creation you get from your top two. And I certainly can't try to get inside the mind of Kyrie. Like, I don't think the earth is flat, for one thing. I probably would never compare myself to Martin Luther King Jr. These are things that are sort of fundamental to the Kyrie experience. He's an insane person. I understand a lot of people who know him, like him, and say that he's a kind guy, and I totally believe all of that. But there is something fundamentally very wacky, very goofy, and very strange about Kyrie Irving. And this seems to be another reflection of that. And honestly, at this point... I feel like when you are talking about the legacy of Kyrie Irving, it is going to be more about insanity and controversy and suspensions for anti-Semitism and leaving ideal basketball situations than it is going to be about, wow, that guy's up for the most purely skilled one-on-one scorer we've ever seen, one of the most incredible ball handlers and difficult shot makers and pure shooters and skilled finishers that the game has ever known. It's going to be, wow, he left LeBron to then go to a team that made the conference finals without him, had their best year without him on the floor, and then later would eventually progress to the point where they're a contender and may go on to win a title with the Tatum-Brown core. He promised himself to them, and then he left, to join what a lot of people thought could be the most unstoppable super team ever, the greatest collection of offensive talent ever, only for that to all go to waste. Not necessarily his fault, but nevertheless, a wasted opportunity. And then for him to leave that situation, just as it seems like things are trending in a truly positive direction. And when his fellow superstar was able to stick it out and find a way and play some unbelievable basketball, and they got the coach that they wanted out of there out, and everything was flowing, that's when Kyrie decides it's time to jump ship. It's impossible to know what motivated him in this specific moment, but... It's hard to understand what motivates this guy. And I don't think he really has any of the same values of most of the NBA players who we know. Like, of course, everybody wants to get paid, but it's just shocking to leave another superstar who committed himself to come there with you on an island. And I know that KD requested the trade, but he didn't get it, and he stuck it out, and you guys are really good. So I think he's tarnished his legacy. I do, because I think there is too much foolishness that has followed the moment of greatness. Like, Kyrie has consistently been an elite basketball player and, in fact, has gotten better since 2016. But the reality is, that's the moment that defines him. And everything since then has been brilliance without the most important results, which is winning at the highest level, and him contributing to that. 
And we've seen teams succeed without him when he moves on, and we've seen him leave situations that it does not make sense to leave, and we've seen him say and do absurd things off the basketball court, and that's going to be Kyrie's role, I think, in NBA history. He's going to be, wow, what a weirdo. What a crazy guy. What a jackass, frankly. And what could have been? Um, Kyrie clearly does not value winning and getting championships, and that's the ultimate goal. Carson, to me, I would ask, uh, we've had this conversation on the pod in the past just because Kyrie is such a hot-button topic. What's his value? Who would want you, Kyrie? When you say tarnish his legacy, too, this is not just saying, like, legacy after basketball. He's tarnishing his reputation right now is, I wouldn't give up shit for Kyrie. I wouldn't give up a single asset because he's shown you his true colors, he's shown you who he is, and he's shown you that when it gets a little tough or something that happens that he doesn't like, he's going to quit on you. I wouldn't give up anything to get Kyrie Irving, and personally, I wouldn't want him on my team. Uh, do you have the same sentiments as me, Carson, and how do you approximate his value around the league? Well, I don't totally agree. Because I think there are teams that are in strange enough situations where they have resources allocated in their current core, where they have a superstar or two who need the supporting cast around them elevated, who will convince themselves, hey, it's worth the risk because as things currently stand, we're just not good enough. And honestly, I would take that risk too. If I were the Lakers... I would certainly take that risk. You're telling me I can give up Russ and a couple of firsts to potentially raise my ceiling to, like, maybe good enough to win the West, man. The Lakers' role players are still not going to be high level, obviously, but that would be the best big three in basketball. I think we know the defensive ceiling that this team can have when fully engaged. There is no offensive trio as good as LeBron, AD, and Kyrie healthy, and yeah, that's a question mark, and things could go south, but they have nothing with Russell Westbrook. And I don't think they can value those future firsts more than a chance to actually get out of a flawed West. I don't know how they can be as complete as the best teams, as the Celtics, as the Bucks, as the Nuggets. I don't think that ceiling is there. But can they be overwhelmingly talented enough at the top to give themselves a shot? I think that's possible, man. Kyrie is still one of the most dynamic shot makers, scorers, and offensive weapons in the game of basketball. And the Lakers need that. They need a great perimeter scorer, among many other things, but that'll do a lot to raise your ceiling as a team when it is a glaring deficiency. There's not that many teams that don't have like a good scoring guard. The Lakers are one of the few in the league that legitimately doesn't. Like Dennis Schroeder is their best scoring guard. You're not winning, I don't think, even a playoff series like that. So... Bottom line is I do think there are situations where it makes sense. The Mavs are another team that is talent-starved if they want to actually contend. They do not have that level of ability on their roster. They're in a tougher spot because uh, you're looking at more of a long game, right? Like the Lakers, I think, hey, LeBron's 38. Just go all in for the next year. Sign Kyrie to a contract if you need to. I'm all in on the Lakers possibly ruining their future to try to get another title because why not they're screwed no matter what but the Mavs are in a different spot because if you choose to invest in the wrong second star like think about what happened with KP right it ends up just setting you a couple years back at the same time they're going to look and say we need more dynamic shot creation it can't just be Luka every possession every night so I think the offers are going to involve probably pick heavy packages like I think that what I laid out for the Lakers is probably the most intuitive route for the Mavs. I think you throw together the contracts that work. I mean, getting rid of Dinwiddie would be no problem, really. He has a partially guaranteed contract next year. And then maybe you have to attach a THJ or something, and then you throw in a first or what have you. It's not going to be great for the Nets no matter what. They're not going to get the true value of Kyrie as a basketball player back. And they're not going to get the win-now value that he has. And the Nets are going to be screwed. And Kevin Durant is going to be screwed. And that sucks for them. What's the incentive for the Nets to trade Kyrie? What, just simple fear of losing him in free agency? Well, I think we kind of saw how things went when they tried to hold out with Harden and he basically just stopped caring about basketball. And I think Kyrie is a volatile enough personality and a selfish enough guy to where that's on the table. KD would never do that. 
I think that KD obviously has his preferences about where he wants to be. He wants to be in the best position to win. But I think the guy loves basketball too much and has too much self-respect to ever just tank a season. I wouldn't be surprised if Kyrie did that. Kyrie thinks he's entitled to everything in the world. Like, I wouldn't be surprised at all, dude. He missed more than half the season last year because he didn't want to get vaccinated. I mean, that's a, a, a fundamental belief for some people, but I don't know what he can talk himself into. So you may be right. It may make more sense for them to not trade him and see what happens because they're not going to get requisite value back. It also, though, sucks if he leaves and you get absolutely nothing. And now you have to trade KD, I think, because there's no path to contention. But also, there's no path to contention if you get Russell Westbrook in two firsts or Dinwiddie and THJ in a first. I mean, that second package is better for win now. You're at least getting shot creation and shot making. But it's not enough. It's not enough to compete with the best teams in the league. So, I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't trade Kyrie. But that sucks because... Who knows what he's going to do? Who knows how it's going to go? And he clearly, for, again, another reason, does not want to be here. So why would he play hard? Why would he... Exactly. Why would he fully commit himself to this season if this is a situation where he doesn't want to be at? And that's, again, the thing that makes me scratch my head the most is I think this is the best basketball situation that Kyrie and Kevin Durant have both been in in a long time. You have everything here needed to go out and win a title, and that's why this makes this decision just so head-scratching. You've got mm -hmm. the defense. You have the perimeter shooting. You have the assets. You have the two top-level stars who can get you through the playoffs and get you buckets, and they've been so close in the past. I mean, you're a foot away from KD banging a shot that sends you guys past the Bucks. I Um. This one really confuses me, and it further cements. I don't care what the situation is. If I was a general manager of a team, I would not want Kyrie Irving anywhere near my locker room. Yeah. Again, I think <laughs> that may be the right decision, but I don't know that it's possible to look at such an appetizing basketball talent on the table when you are in such a bad situation with a an inevitably the, frustrated superstar to turn it down. I don't think I would. If I were in LA, I would take Kyrie yes, Irving. Yes, if I that were, is the only situation I'd do it because that is the only one that makes sense to me. What about Miami? I mean, what do they do? Because you got to go one direction or the other. They're not good enough offensively to do anything meaningful right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. If I was Miami, I would do it too, actually. That's... That makes sense. You've got Jimmy. You've got Bam. If you give up in this situation, what? You're probably giving up Hero, Oladipo, Lowry, something like that, uh, with maybe a pick or something. Yeah. i do it if I was Miami, too, because the flip side of this is all your assets are getting older. Your title window is going to close regardless. Yeah. Same situation with L.A. I mean, if your title window is this season, six months, you know, yeah. if you got six months to play with, I'd do it. Miami and L.A., but, like, for the future, what, I, what I'm getting at, though, is I'm not giving up a ton of future assets for, for this guy because I'm not sacrificing my future for Kyrie. But I think those are the two landing spots that make the most sense because feasibly getting Kyrie, that would put them over the top and make them legit contenders, and they're two of the worst half-court offenses in basketball. They desperately need that creation at the top. That makes sense. I just... I just, I hate Kyrie. I hate what he's become. Yeah. I don't object to that. If you had to put your money somewhere right now, where do you think Kyrie is after the deadline? Uh, Brooklyn. I don't think they get a deal done. I think they hold on to him. They try to recoup things, and they try to give this thing one last shot. Um, fuck if I know, though, dude. I'm, I'm just along the Kyrie Irving roller coaster like everybody else, bro. What do you think? I think I agree with you. There just isn't a good enough deal on the table to me. I mean, if they could get Hero in something, I think that would be the most intriguing, but I don't think that the Heat are going to put up Hero. I think they're probably going to do some combination of Lowry to make the contracts work and picks, and Lowry is a zero, and picks aren't a zero for the Nets because... The reality is that at this point, when Kyrie's not fully committed, maybe you do need to look to the future. But they're a zero for KD, and KD still should be the most important priority. And they're still good enough to where winning now should be the top priority. So, 
I hope he's in Brooklyn, but I don't even know what to make of the situation because how far can you go when you don't want to be somewhere? Like, it's a tough ask for me to still view them in the same light as we would have a couple weeks ago. And what's crazy, dude, is Kyrie's been balling. Kyrie has been balling out these last couple weeks. I mean, he is an incredibly gifted probably still top 15 basketball player on the planet, having one of his best scoring seasons of his career. But it's just always a circus, man. And bottom line, as I said, I think this is what we know Kyrie for. I think that you can't have seven years, just at this point, of controversy and absurdity with disappointing results almost inevitably if it's due to injury or it's been due to injury a lot of the time or just not having the roster when maybe you had the roster in a previous situation I don't think you can overcome that and (laughs) he just he just has such a clear reckless abandon of caring about how he alienates players or coaches or teammates or the locker room or just like he just misses the chemistry and it's confusing to me Carson that a guy that when you talk to him he preaches so much about love and about caring and to the thing that like Kyrie if I was blessed with your abilities (laughs) I don't know man I'd be about winning basketball games I'd be about getting that chip that would be my one goal I it frustrates me that a guy that is talented as Kyrie Irving doesn't love basketball the way that I think a lot of guys do, like Kevin Durant. And I don't know, man. He's I'm disappointed, man. I'm disappointed. He's kind of pissing on his legacy the way I think you see how like a guy like Allen Iverson went out and AI didn't want to come off the bench. It's like a like I don't know, man. AI was an ego thing. I don't know if this is just who Kyrie fundamentally is. Like, does he always have to have the spotlight on him? Does he always have to dredge up some drama I don't know the after this season Carson like I I think he's just windling down his potential suitors if a deal doesn't get done before this contract extension deadline it is a it's another really really bad look in a very long line of bad looks for Kyrie and like I said man if they don't get a deal done if no team offers him an extension I would not be knocking on his door unless I'm LA unless I'm Miami I don't think it's a matter of needing attention I think it's a matter of detachment from reality honestly I think that we see that with Kyrie in all respects and I'm generally pretty hesitant to make evaluations of the nature of a person who I don't know but Kyrie certainly gives us plenty of information to act off of and it's this eternal feeling of superiority that I think you always see where he will say something ridiculous or inflammatory and then be so smug and snide about it and think everybody else is the idiot, whether it was flat earth, whether it's talking about how black people are the true Israelites and he can't possibly be anti-Semitic because of that. It's just this ongoing dynamic with him where he may look insane, but he is convinced that he is in the right. And I think you see that with his basketball decisions, too. He has been in great situations. He went to three straight finals. And then he said, no, I guess I got to be the guy. I'm going to leave LeBron James, which is just an objectively horrible business decision. The only reason to go leave LeBron James to be in a better basketball situation would have been to go join the Golden State Warriors or to go take that Chris Paul role in Houston before Chris Paul could have snagged it. And then he leaves another great basketball situation to go try to build one of his own. And again, it's just like when things don't go exactly according to plan, he convinces himself that there's a better situation out there and that he's entitled to better when he has been completely complicit in a lot of the issues. A lot of these issues come down to injuries, not his fault. But, I mean, that's a huge reason I think that the Nets didn't win the title two years ago is because Kyrie was hurt, couldn't play. Harden was hurt, wasn't himself. And... They haven't even really had a fair crack at it, dude. Like, this isn't the best iteration of the Nets that we've seen, but it's still a really good iteration, and they have not once really played the season to completion. Like, last year year was the closest, but that was 
totally screwed up because of how little Kyrie played during the regular season. They didn't have Ben Simmons, who was supposed to be their big asset in return. Like, that team wasn't as good as the other Nets teams that could have been. So, it's upsetting. It will forever go down as one of the great basketball what-ifs to me. And uh, if you're still out there defending Kyrie, you're a wacky character. Like, he's got the right to do what he wants, but he also does not have the right to be shielded from criticism of that. And I just think the realistic perspective at this point is that he's a bad decision maker and he has low self-awareness and he doesn't really know what's out there and the grass is always greener. That's what I think about this Kyrie situation. All right. We've got a couple other big storylines that we wanted to hit on. Not quite as big as Kyrie, but the All-Star Reserves were announced. I'll read them off. In the West, we have Paul George, SGA, Triple J, Dame, Laurie Markin, and John Morant, and DeMontis Sabonis. And in the East, Bam Adebayo, Jalen Brown, DeMar DeRozan, Joel Embiid, Tyrese Halliburton, Drew Holiday, and Julius Randle. What's your reaction to those lists, Logan? What do you think the NBA got right? What do you think they missed? Um... You know, I saw a lot of people um, really upset about uh, really upset about uh, Kawhi Leonard. I didn't really understand that one. I think for a guy who's missed, you know, so many games, I'm fine with Kawhi not being there. Um, I was glad they gave the nod to uh, to Domas. I think he's a no-brainer. I'm glad they gave it to Markin. And uh, when we're talking about games missed too, I, I do wonder about. Like Triple J, not uh, like Triple J, whether he deserves to be there. Mm -hmm. um, I think he is definitely my defensive player of the year, but again, he missed a lot of time early on. So that one made me wonder. Uh, I thought Darius Garland um, should have been in consideration. I'm glad they gave the nod to Drew Holiday. I think he deserves it. Criminally underrated. Um, I think for the most part, I think they got things right. I, I, uh, I saw some people talking about James Harden. I think he might be the biggest mm -hmm. one that I... That I point at and I go, yeah, Harden probably should have made it. Um, like, just fundamentally, would I rather have Julius Randle or James yeah. Harden? I mean, I don't really have to think about it, big dog. Uh, I know what Julius Randle is, and I know what James Harden is. As frustrating as both of them are, I know which lefty I'm going with. Uh, I, so I probably would have gone with Harden over Julius Randle. I would not have gone with Trey Young. He's still sub <laughs> uh, league average true shooting percentage. I know what he does. You know, he's at like 28 and 10 this season. Uh I didn't have a problem with Trey Young being left off. So, yeah, I mean, honestly, I think the only ones that I may have had a big issue with is probably Garland, Harden, and uh, somebody else out east. Um, Garland and Harden are, and maybe Jimmy Butler. Those are probably my biggest ones. But, again, with yeah. the time that Jimmy's missed out on, uh, I just wouldn't have had Julius Randle here, if I'm being honest. I would have put any three of those guys above him. I thought out west... I don't think I have really any issues. I mean, shout out to Aaron Fox. He's having a great season. Shout out Kawhi Leonard. Uh, I wouldn't have put those guys in above anybody else. Uh, but what do you think? Julius was by far my biggest issue. I also do not like Julius here. I understand that he had a really, really good December and then a good January in terms of raw output, but it's just like still big raw numbers with middling efficiency a play style that ultimately is not super conducive to winning, in my opinion, doesn't make it certainly easy to build a great group around him that complements his style. And again, it's like the Knicks are a slightly above 500 team, mostly because they have a pretty darn good bench. And I would say that Jalen Brunson has actually been their best player this year overall. And if I were to pick an all-star, I think it would have been him given his command of the game his playmaking value I ultimately wouldn't have had either one of them here and I do think the margin is pretty small but I would have leaned Brunson but yeah I thought Jimmy made a better case I just think that Jimmy is fundamentally a more impactful all-around two-way basketball player in terms of scoring playmaking uh, he's on a better team he's had a big impact on team success has been vital to how good the Heat have been this year and uh, Trey, I think I was on the Bay Takes podcast a couple weeks ago. I didn't have Trey. 
I think that he has really been surging in this last six weeks or so now, and I would certainly take him over Julius Randle. I understand that he had a bad start to the year, but he's just on a different level in terms of offensive impact when he's right and he's playing like the Trey Young we expect. I was glad Drew Holiday was there because I ended up having Drew on my team, and I think that compared to James Harden, it's like, well, of course Harden is a better offensive player, but I don't know that this year he has had a significant enough edge in offensive impact given that we're seeing career production from Drew basically as a scorer and a playmaker. I still think there's clearly a gap just in the skill that we see from Harden as a scorer and the command of the game as a playmaker. But when Drew has also been so great defensively and so vital to the success of the Bucks, where when they don't have him, they're like a 500 type team and when he does play they're a really elite team nine points per nine is better with him on the floor compared to off it I think that he makes a compelling case and I'm glad to see him rewarded so out east yeah I would have knocked Randall off oh I can't believe that we've missed the most obvious guy I guess I spaced on him because you didn't mention him I think Siakam has to be here dude and I think that that's oh yeah a shocking omission like I know that you initially didn't have Spicy P here, and I think that team success factored into that. And also, you just don't really like Spicy P, if we're being honest. But, dude, like the scoring, playmaking, plus defensive impact combo, his versatility as a scorer, how essential he is to the Raptors being a competent offense when there is such strange skill sets around him, just long gangly guys, lack of shooting. Siakam does a whole lot at a high level, and the raw production is there. So that doesn't make sense to me. I, I literally spaced on that because I had Siakam as such a lock in my mind and it sucks that he's not there. So yeah, actually, I think that they messed up a decent amount out East with that. Yeah, I, Siakam's the biggest omission. I, I, you're exactly right too. I thought I was, after we did our pod, um, I was just so sure he was going to be on here and I, I don't get it. And this is no like, I want to give Julius Randle some flowers. Like, I think Julius has gotten better this season. And when he's hot, when Julius is shooting well, he's a good player. But that's the key word, when Julius is shooting well. We'll have a night where he'll go, he'll start out 5 of 5 from behind the arc. And you're like, God damn, man, Julius Randle's unfucking stoppable And then we'll have another game where he's, you know, 1 of 12 from deep in the first half, and teams are just leaving him open. He's just fundamentally a flawed basketball player. I would have given that nod to... Siakam, Harlan, uh, Harden, Garland, Butler, and I think uh, Jalen Brunson too over Julius. I that one's the worst one in my opinion. I, I personally though, Carson, I don't really think I don't think they got anything wrong out west. If you were gonna complain, I'd say maybe Anthony Davis or Devin Booker. But again, man, with the health concerns, that's it's just not not doable. Well, that is my main gripe because. It's tougher now than ever to pick all-star teams, not just because of the almost excessive amount of talent in the league, but also because guys are missing more games than ever before. But it feels very arbitrary to me wherever this line is drawn, and I think there is a recency bias to it, certainly. Devin Booker has been hurt, and we still haven't seen him return. AD, we just saw return pretty recently from injury, but... Book has played 29 games. AD has played 29 games. Triple J has played 35 games. I don't have a problem with viewing Triple J as an all-star caliber guy. I think that we have seen depoys like Rudy Gobert recently get voted in with less offensive impact. I, maybe people would say that Gobert has more of a singular dominant effect on team defense because of what he does purely as a rim protector I think Triple J at this point is clearly a better defender like if you're asking me who I want for a playoff series it's not close Triple J's versatility is phenomenal and he's had a monstrous impact on the success of his team defense and can play different coverages switchable as hell dominant out of drop like Triple J is a monster and he's good offensively he's skilled he's a plus shooter he can attack mismatches so it's not an anti-Triple J thing. It's just Devin Booker and Anthony Davis are in completely different tiers as basketball players. AD is putting up 27 a night on 65% true shooting while being a top five defender in basketball. Devin Booker, 
The Suns are 18 and 11 when he plays. He was their sole offensive engine pretty much, and he's putting up 27 points, six assists a game on good efficiency. 59% true shooting almost. So that just doesn't quite compute to me. The difference in six games played is like, let's take a way inferior player who is really good, but Book is a top 15 guy. AD has been playing like a top eight guy this year. I just don't love that. And I know a lot of people were upset with Paul George being here too. And I don't love PG, but it's mostly because I think those guys have been better and those guys should be there. And I agree that Anthony Edwards has been phenomenal these last couple months after a slow start. And uh, I understand that Fox also has been really good as of late and his efficiency is up and He's had some phenomenal clutch moments and is obviously on an all-around great offense, but I do still think that PG is a better all-around player, so I'm not as pissed about that one. To me, it's just like Book and AD have had such phenomenal seasons when healthy that AD should have been here, no doubt. Book, the margins are slimmer. Like If you want to say, hey, Anthony Edwards having played 15 more games, excuse me, 25 more games should be be above him that's that's fine by me pg's played 38 it's not quite as clear of a divide and i don't understand too man with injuries it's like if we're gonna have reserves and mark them as just straight up all-stars too like for example all the afc pro bowl qbs are out right so we have tyler huntley in at the pro bowl that one's egregious but for all-stars it's like why can't we just list these guys on the teams and then because they're hurt they just won't play in the game and they'll all be all-stars i don't know i mean fundamentally if you were choosing best players regardless of games played, and if you want to include games played in your metric, I mean, I would have AD over Triple J in a heartbeat, and I'd have D-Book over Paul George in a heartbeat, and it wouldn't be a thought. And again, it's so minimal between those guys. The differences in games played is so small. I would have, that's probably what I would have done, and I've just given them reserve spots and had them all be listed as all-stars because that's what happens anyway. Now that I'm thinking about it, though, like, Having Book over Ant, when Ant has played almost double the games, would feel kind of weird. But PG versus Book, it's nine games. But then you can look at Ant versus PG and say, well, it's still a significant margin, but not as significant. Like, it's just too weird, man. I just wish guys were playing more games. Like, I don't think that should be such a major factor in the All-Star conversation. But I understand why it kind of has to be. All right. Last talking point for the day, Logan. Tom Brady's done. <laughs> Finished for good, he says this time. Listen, I don't think that this has a huge impact on the scope of the NFL. I mean, we briefly mentioned, oh, what if he went to San Francisco? Would that be an upgrade last week? Just talking about the desperation of their quarterback situation. But this seems like a natural point for him to be done. He honestly should have retired after last year, maybe even after the Super Bowl. Yeah. That would have been an unbelievable way to go out. But he had another elite year in him and another year of Pretty darn good numbers, so no problem with him wanting to shove it in Adam Schefter's face that he got the scoop and ultimately lead to a miserable divorce with his wife and now embark on a lonesome life full of just avoiding nightshades and eating whatever he does to stay young forever. But he's done now, and I think that we haven't seen it as much this time around because, frankly, people haven't seemed to care nearly as much with retirement number two. I guess you only get to have the big bonanza once. Last year, we saw a bunch of people launch into the is he the GOAT athlete conversation. And I made a TikTok about this for the volume sports, which you should go follow. And I said, I can name like 10 athletes just since 2000 who I think have a better case as the GOAT athlete than Brady. And I stand by that. I think that fundamentally he is obviously an incredibly gifted guy, one of the smartest football players, accurate, incredible awareness in the pocket, so disciplined, so consistently great that, yeah, he's the greatest quarterback of all time. However, to me, when a guy is not consistently considered the best player at their own position within their own sport, which Brady was not, like we can try to revise the history here, however we've wanted, he's a three-time first-team All-Pro for a reason. Aaron Rodgers had a higher peak. Peyton Manning had a higher peak. Patrick Mahomes had a higher peak. And it's not just, oh, those guys are more flashy talents. No, those guys are also incredibly smart, 
great decision makers who have a different level of dynamism to their games as well. And who I legitimately think at their peaks were all better than Brady. Brady was just great for so long and was in unbelievable situations, churning out elite defenses with probably the best coach of all time behind him the entire way. So that's kind of the essence of my issue with lumping him into that conversation. Football takes 22 plus guys to go out there and win consistently. And the quarterback is the most impactful, but it's not a direct correlation, right? Like individual sports, people go out there, they dominate by themselves. Brady certainly never matched that level of individual dominance within the scope of his sport. Again, I think you would look at him as probably the fourth most dominant quarterback within his own career. He can't be in the GOAT athlete conversation. What's your take on it? Uh, I, I do think Brady can be in the GOAT athlete conversation, and I would have him above Peyton. Whoa! Um, I, I don't agree with any of your fundamental points here. Um, individual sports you don't and agree? individual accolades are always going to be more important. I would have Brady in my top ten. And the thing, the thing okay. that I, I think you're missing out on, Carson, is I don't know if we're going to get in. Are we doing our full list today? You go for it. I mean, the way I would do my top 10, I structured it out. Um, I think mystique and fear have such a big aspect in what I mean by that is like the, just the myth of these guys. And Tom Brady is a cosmic entity, a alien. He's the clutchest man to ever exist. And the myths of these guys is built where in the playoffs. And I think that's where, Brady obviously has the edge is when you hear the name Michael Jordan echoed, you think of the greatest playoff score of all time. And when the chips were down, MJ could fucking kick it into gear and he'd put your team away. Michael struck fear into people the way other athletes could never. Um, Mm -hmm. I remember we were talking previous. So my list is only sports with a ball and sports that I can uh, competently (laughs) comprehend um, so I didn't have mm-hmm. any tennis heads on here because I figure you would. Um, mm-hmm. So I really based it off that. And if we're going off fear and peaks in the absolute, just you would be struck by the fear of God at playing the thought of these guys. I would have Mike Tyson in my top 10 too if we weren't restricted to just balls. I would have Muhammad Ali in my top 10. Uh, because we were restricted though, I, I think that... Hold up. I'm sorry. This is just a weird metric to me. The fear factor to me is different than actual greatness, right? Like, if you look at any list of the greatest boxers of all time, Tyson's not in the top 30. I think Tyson would be number one. No! Look at a list from actual boxing experts. He's not considered one of the truly greatest boxers of all time because it's not just about how scary you are. I listen to my dad, and my dad says, Prime Mike, early young Mike, is the GOAT. Logan, I your think dad Mike is Tyson. not a boxing expert. <laughs> My dad Shout watched a lot Jimmy. of boxing. Shout out and to I think, no, I think I that if Mike Tyson fought Muhammad Ali, he'd knock his ass out. Fat chance, bro. Float like a, flo- float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. He getting Here's, danced let on. Me, let me finish, sweetheart, okay? <laughs> um, My list, I'll go ahead and run it down for you if you have yours. Number one, I have Michael Jordan. Number two, I have Wilt Chamberlain. Whoa! Number three, I have LeBron James. Number four, I have Patrick Mahomes. Number five, I have Tiger Woods. Number six, I have Barry Bonds. Number seven, I have Tom Brady. Number eight, I have Deion Sanders. Number nine, I have Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And number 10, I have Jerry Rice. I'm just trying to wrap my head around some of this. Wait, all right, we're not getting into my list. We're just going to react to the Logan list. I don't actually have a full list laid out in front of me. Why is Dion above Jerry, first of all? Man, I think Dion could have ran track and been the GOAT, bro. I think Dion could have sold insurance and been the GOAT, bro. I think he could have blown up he could have blown up balloon animals at a birthday party and been the GOAT, bro. I just think Dion I think you could have put anything in front of Dion, and I'm convinced he was gonna be great at it. He's the only guy to play in a Super Bowl and a World Series. He did it in football, he did it in baseball. And when I talk about that fear factor, you do not want to put the ball in Dion's hands. You do not want to throw that ball anywhere near Dion. No, because that means you've turned it over. Duh. Because Dion's <laughs> going to make a fucking house call. I think, I, I'm not saying that the myth of these guys is the be-all, end-all, but I think that is a part of, of it. That's why I have Mahomes so high. Mahomes scares me like no other quarterback in the history of the NFL has scared me. I am petrified when I have to play Patrick Mahomes because I already know what's going to happen. We're losing. 
it's you you lost. You're playing Patrick Mahomes. I'm sorry. Like, and I think for a lot of these guys, it's the same. For Wilt, it's different. Wilt's a fucking freak. Yeah. Okay. So you're giving Dion points for the multi-sport thing here, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I tend to value a guy's peak sport ability way more than anything else just because it's like you don't know. Like, athleticism can translate. Some guys just don't act upon that because they're like, well, I'm going to be reasonable and only try to play one professional sport because it never really works out that well when you try to play two. It's insanely impressive. Don't get me wrong, but it's like, you know, LeBron is an insane all-around athlete, right? Like, we know he was a dominant high school football player. I don't know what level he could have succeeded at in football. He never gave it a shot. So I always value peak sport above everything else. That really surprises me that you have Jerry so low, honestly, because I think in terms of individual dominance and longevity compared to your peers, he's the best football player ever. Like, I don't think that Brady compares because, again, Brady just doesn't have enough years where he's head and shoulders above the competition. I just don't think Jerry has the... He doesn't have the fear factor. No, he doesn't have the myth aspect. I genuinely think that he matters. wasn't fast enough. He's He doesn't have that. Tom Brady put the fear of God into me. When it was playoff time and the Steelers had to play Brady, Brady put the fear of God into me. I didn't want to see him. I knew what was going to happen. The Same thing with Prime Tiger. That's why my top six, that's why I have Barry at six. Barry struck fear into guys pitching to him unlike any other baseball player that walked the planet. Yeah. Tiger, at his peak, struck fear into other golfers the way I don't think any other golfer could hit. That's why Mahomes is four. LeBron mm-hmm. is three. And then Wilt, I just think you have to have Wilt in your top. Th- Wilt's, Wilt is the miss. So you think Wilt is a better all-time basketball player than LeBron James? Is that what you're saying? That's now? not my take. That's not my take. So I think Wilt has a bigger myth about him. Okay. I think Wilt is, and this was, hey, I want to say too, Carson, this was my toughest delineation. Wilt at two or LeBron at two. So you made it the scaliest athletes of all time. Essentially. <laughs> That's interesting. I just find that there are flaws with using the myth thing as the ultimate judgment, right? Because Bro, it's like... played. You know the Wilt numbers, dog. Well, it's not Wilt. just about Wilt. Yeah, but Wilt's just not as good of a basketball player as LeBron James. He's not as dominant within the scope of his own era, not as impactful on team success. Okay. Like, that to me is the greatest athletes ever. Like, uh, guess what, buddy? If you were taking a poll of NBA players who played against LeBron and Kobe, you know who they would say they're more scared of? Kobe, and it wouldn't be close because... Kobe played a different brand, right? Kobe had an insane competitiveness to him. He had a go at your throat over and over again. He had an, oh my God, how did he make that difficult shot right in my eye? He had a defensive intensity in spots where he's up in your grill and you're scared to even look his way. LeBron doesn't have that personality. He doesn't have that play style. Like he is inherently going to be more of a playmaker. He's not going to drop out those same kinds of moments of like, oh my God, how did he hit that turn away in my face? How did he just pivot seven times right on me? He's talking insane shit. But that's what I'm saying. That's what makes people scary. Tyson is scarier because he was a bigger puncher. He wasn't a better all-around fighter. He was scary. He would knock Muhammad Ali's ass out, bro. I stand on that. Just... He would knock his ass out, bro, clean. It would not be a fight. Mike Tyson is putting him in an early grave, bro. I just, listen, I'm not going to pretend to be a boxing expert either, but I'm fascinated by these things, and one of the things that fascinates me is how consistently everyday people talk about Mike Tyson as like, oh my God, maybe the best fighter ever, and no fighting expert ever holds him in that regard. And I think it's because of the exact reason we're discussing today. A Mike Tyson Tyson knockout video is the craziest shit you will ever see from any fighter ever. So, yeah, that's scary. That's scary as hell. And he's a little bit crazy, too. He's a little bit wacky, that Mike Tyson. You know, he pulls up in your Vegas hotel room, and you're going to fear for your life more than you would with anybody else. I just don't think that's what equates to all-around greatness. Like, mythology is cool, but it's, to me, separate from result, from skill set, from impact. I think it's... I think you can look at results, and I think that you can look at accolades, and I don't think they always paint the entire picture of. I think those things matter, bro. Like, and I want to give, I want to give credit to some other athletes here because we're not going to get into every sport. Um, Wayne Gretzky, bro, Olympic athletes, Phelps, Usain Bolt, Carl Lewis, Jesse Owens, 
Um, shout out my NASCAR guys too, Brad. Dale Earnhardt, Richard Petty, and Jimmy Johnson. I think uh, when you're looking at uh, the scope of like every sport, Wayne Gretzky in hockey too, Nolan Ryan, um, like Bo Jackson, guys like that. But to me, man, the oh, I am Babe Ruth too. Babe Ruth was a really close omission too. I just think. I just don't think you can encapsulate everything in just awards and accolades and what they did on the court, man. I think the... Well, it's not a matter of awards and accolades solely. It's a matter of your own judgment of their impact, too. I just don't think the end-all, be-all is how scary are you to play. Because I think that sometimes that does not equate with who is actually better. I think the LeBron-Kobe example is the epitome of that. Uh would you have Wilt? Would you have Wilt in your top ten? Athletes of all time? No. Well, that's crazy. He's like my number seven basketball player of all time. And so you're saying? I don't know, man. I just think. Yeah, Wilt is scary. Banged a lot of chicks. Wilt is scary because yeah, he's probably gonna steal the love of your life, and he's bigger and stronger, and faster than everybody else on the court. But he had shortcomings in his game in terms of his understanding of all-around impact. Yeah, yeah no, I, I'm, not, I'm not disregarding But that's what matters, Logan. It's I about mean, how you impact winning, is it not? The, or is it about how scary you are? <laughs> he averaged 50 points per game in a single season. He had 118 50-point games in the record books. He has the top seven most minutes per game in a single season. Wilt was consistently yeah, was playing like over 48 minutes a night. Yeah. He had the most. He has the most rebounds in a game and in a season. He has the most points in a game by a rookie. And if you're talking about his shortcomings, when he did figure it out, he has the second most assists in a single game by a center behind Jokic for a, or excuse me, in a single season behind Jokic, um, at eight point six, bruh. I mean, like, Wilt's a myth. I went with the myths, bruh, and I think LeBron. Wilt is a myth. Wilt is maybe the greatest myth ever. But guess what? It's really close in terms of whether or not he's even the greatest player within his own sport of his own decade. I'm picking straws. Really I'm just a skinny dude because who didn't play ball, bro. <laughs> I am interested by how you went about this. And honestly, we got to rip this full pot at some point because... I'm down, to, I'm down to get into it, bro. I wanted to do this as the full show today, but then we had All-Star drop, we had Kyrie drop, and there's not enough time to do it full justice. So I decided I would take more of the Brady angle because I really don't think Brady has a case. Like, I would still have him, let me be clear, above the other quarterbacks who I mentioned, Peyton, Mahomes, Rodgers. You'd have him above Pat. At this point, I really think that Pat is going to be better, but I do think that there's a combination that you need to acknowledge of ability and of results and of accomplishments. Like, I mean, to use a tennis example, it's like Bjorn Borg was, by the age of 25, probably the most accomplished player up to that age ever. I mean, he won 11 Grand Slams. He won six French Opens in eight years. He won five straight Wimbledons. Like, the guy was unbeatable in his spots. And then he retired by 26 and never did anything else of significance. So it's like... Up until this latest era of tennis players, the big three, you could have made a very good argument that he was the greatest player of all time, but he was not the most accomplished because of longevity. Now, unfortunately, he doesn't have an argument for either one because I think all three of the guys that we've seen are on a different level. But it's hard to assess people if they're, like, done by 25, 26, you know? And at this point, Mahomes is just not close enough to being in that accomplishment conversation. You don't have to be the most accomplished Right, Kareem's the most accomplished basketball player ever. He's not the greatest basketball player ever, but you have to have uh, a resume to where you are within striking zone of that conversation. I think like you have to have actually done enough. It can't just be peak ability. So, anyways, because of the overwhelming team success and longevity and consistency and still really high individual peak that Brady had. I would say he's the greatest quarterback ever, and uh, I think it's pretty much undeniable at this point. I say that Mahomes is the best. I say that Brady is the greatest. But I just think there's more sports out there in the world than people acknowledge, and I think that there's just so many factors that go into a football team's success. And if you're asking me who has driven more success individually, Peyton won a Super Bowl with the number 23 defense. Mahomes, we've seen go to five AFC championships with 
mostly average defenses and elevate whatever skill position talent is around him. Look at what he's done without Tyreek this year. Good offensive mind, sure. Great tight end, sure. You think that tight end would be as great without Patrick Mahomes? No. We saw him. He was very good. Now he's become the greatest receiving tight end undoubtedly ever. Shout out Patrick Mahomes for that. So, good for Brady. He had a good career. Not my favorite. Well, I did want to say, too, I thought Brady should have gone out after he won that Super Bowl. He would have, well, one, saved his marriage, and two, you see all the really big greats. or Not all the big greats, but that's the storybook ending. Going Um, out on top is dope, man. uh, It preserves the myth. Bill, yeah, Bill Cower, Jerome Bettis, man, going out on top. Uh, Jordan in his first retirement, man, you know, uh, the... There's a lot of examples, and I think that's always a way to go out. But if I'm being honest, as an objective football observer, I think Brady did more for his legacy in these past two years. He added to it. I've never seen dominance like that at that age, and I do think that what he was able to do directly the year after the Super Bowl is so impressive. Is it as impressive as going out on a Super Bowl? I don't know, but I definitely think he built on his already lengthy, you know, it's the greatest football resume of all time. He's a walking record book. Um, But... I do think these last two years help did help benefit his legacy in in some ways yeah. too, and just cost him a marriage. Let me ask you this, Carson. <laughs> you have one game. Do you want Brady or Manning? Mm, Patrick Mahomes, please. I would take Mahomes too. Between those two, at their absolute peaks, yeah, give me Peyton. Why not? I think Peyton's better. I've always been a I always have been a big Peyton guy. Um, Give me Brady. Yeah, that's fine. I don't really object to that. But I will say, as we learned doing a recent uh, trivia video, Peyton Manning, winning record against Tom Brady in the playoffs. How about that? Three and two. See, sometimes myths can be misleading, Logan, can't they? I mean, if you were to ask the average person, they would probably say that Tom Brady is 175-0 and against Peyton Manning in the playoffs. Peyton could never get it done in the big game, right? Brady's never lost in the big game. False. Yeah, and then we looked at who eliminated. Then we looked at who got eliminated. Peyton in the playoffs. Yeah, Mark Sanchez, Jay Fiedler. All right. Well, I really want to have this debate in full. We'll have we to will. find a time. And maybe I'll give the maybe I'll give the people a little teaser with my top ten, so I can get a little shit on online and we can get a little traction towards this episode. Oh yeah, it's gonna be disgusting. I mean, I could come up with a top ten too, but uh, mine's gonna be a lot better than yours. So I don't know how that's gonna look for you. I don't think so. You're gonna have like, <laughs> people who like hit like really light balls with rackets, and I don't really understand how that thing works. You know? Well, yeah. I mean, I would probably have four tennis players in my top ten athletes with a ball of all time, and they would all be from this century. But I think that's legit, bro. If you really know ball, if you really know what's going on. Completely unprecedented stuff. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Kyrie is wacky. Tom Brady is retired and Willie Scary. And uh, the NBA All-Star teams are imperfect. So, as always, you guys know where to find us, but sign up for Omada. I would recommend it. You can use promo code NDSESH or just go to our link tree at the link in any of our social channels' bios. Uh, it's a really fun daily game, basically, where you get a slate of games, player props, NBA, NFL, NHL, whatever's going on that day, and you can take your pick and you compete with us in a squad. No real money involved. So it's a fun way to sort of get the thrill of picking all these games without having to put down any risk. Again, that's Omada, ND Sesh promo code, link across our social media bios and as always follow us on tiktok at nerd sesh instagram at nerd sesh twitter at nerd underscore sesh youtube check us out coming out with some nba breakdown content there pretty regularly and with that as always appreciate you guys hope you've enjoyed i have been carson brabber i have been logan camden and this was nerd sesh Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. 
The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. 